Thanks for tuning in today. Please visit NemoursWellBeyond.org to catch all our episodes and sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also use the voicemail feature on the website to leave a message with your episode ideas or questions. You just might be featured on an upcoming episode of the show. Without further ado, let's go. Well Beyond Medicine. Welcome to Well Beyond Medicine, the Nemours Children's Health Podcast. Each week, we'll explore anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. I'm your host, Carol Vassar, and now that you're here, let's go. Let's go, oh, oh, well beyond medicine. Dr. Penny John is director of the Echocardiography Laboratory at the Heart Center of the Anne and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. Dr. John also leads an artificial intelligence workgroup for the American College of Cardiography. This group was established to help fill an education gap for her fellow member physicians regarding the fast-paced changes that AI is bringing to the field. Here's Dr. Penny John to explain. Artificial intelligence in the medical community is a new modality that we are looking into. And the thought was there was a gap in educating physicians. So we, the American College of Cardiology, the adult congenital cardiology group, we decided that we would need to establish a task force uh, in AI to help educate the community physicians around the country and around the globe. So what we did was we established webinars to educate and brought in thought uh, investigators who were investigating artificial intelligence and congenital heart disease, in particular in the adult congenital heart disease sector, because there were physicians that had started to learn about this. So there was a need in the educational gap, and those webinars were established quarterly to teach the physicians around the country who really wanted to learn about AI and who really wanted to understand what is happening in the AI world for pediatric cardiology. What other education do you see needs to happen? Is there a public education component that needs to take place? Is there additional education that needs to be had by clinicians? Yeah, so the language of uh, artificial intelligence is very different, right? So you have to speak the language of a data scientist in order to bring them in to collaborate in your research. You know, machine learning, supervised, unsupervised, you really need to understand those terminology in order to communicate someone. It's almost as if I went to a different country. I didn't really understand how to speak French. I need to learn how to speak their language. Right? So it's the same thing when I did collaboration with interventionalists with 3D echo guidance. I had to learn their language. Right, We had to communicate the same way. Education in terms of understanding data scientists' language in machine learning, supervised, unsupervised learning, you know, reinforcement learning, you know, the vectors and all that stuff. That's one education. The second education component is to our administrators. We have barriers with administrators. Oh, great, you have this new innovation you want to do, but where's the money? So this is about investing into the future, investing to get ahead of the curve, right? When you're an innovator, you're always at the head of the front line, right? What will take off in 10, 20 years? The other education piece is our public. I see a lot of people worry about using AI to help them. But if you look at the iPhone, 
that's driven by a lot of AI algorithms. So, you know, the majority of the public is using the iPhone or GPS, right? Our Google is all relying on AI algorithms. So if you are afraid of that in medicine, I think it may not be so helpful because if you look at it when you're checking in, it's a computer system asking you questions, right? So that is leveraging AI to decrease the amount of work that we have to do and also to decrease the amount of paper that is being printed every single time we go see a physician, right? As a patient, you have to fill out seven papers. If you could do that online or on the on the laptop, that is helpful. So the group was organized for education. What other areas of interest is are you looking into as a group? We initially partnered up with the innovation group at the American College of Cardiology. And so it's a two-section uh, the innovation group, um, there was a two physicians, Dr. Chow, who was the leader at that time in the innovation section. He was the chair for the innovation section. And then Francisco Fernandez, and in addition to the another pediatric cardiologist who helped us get the webinar together. And so the other task was to push AI in research and who would be interested in collaborating as a multi-center. As you can see from the publications have been released, usually the AI literatures have been in single centers. And because congenital heart disease in a single center, the data is not large enough for us to do a single center AI research. AI needs algorithm development, so you need a set of training data, and then you need a validation data set. So you can't really do training data set and then testing data set on the same data set. Therefore, we established a groove to get interest from multi-centers. And right now, we're just at the beginning of putting the multi-center uh, collaboration together from uh, five different centers around the country who are interested in doing AI in congenital heart disease. Now, congenital heart disease is actually a very robust field for AI because uh, the reason why AI would be helpful in leveraging is there are different areas specific to cardiology, pediatric cardiology, that can, can be done. For example, you have the prenatal group, you have the postnatal group, you have imaging, you have uh, precision medicine, you have interventional guidance pre-surgical and pre-interventional planning, and you can have prediction outcomes. So congenital heart disease would be the key and the big group that will allow us to use AI to the capacity that we're thinking about to do. How far along are you with the five centers that you mentioned in getting that data together? Are they pooling the data? Are they pushing out algorithms to each of those centers to see how the algorithms work or, or both? So we have a center in particular in Boston that they already developed the algorithm. For us, we just got the DUA agreement between our two centers for now in Lurie Children's in Boston. Um, we are going to be testing their algorithm. So we become the validation center. But the five centers right now, the barrier is to find a cloud computing service that would host all these data sets. Now, if you have one center hosting the data set, it's very difficult 
to do because everybody has to filter their data set into that center. However, if you have a cloud-based center where everybody can feed their data and the the data also go back to their center, then they're in charge of their data set. And whatever potential research questions that we want to do later on to help validate certain areas of expertise or prediction models that we want to do or precision medicine, then we could do that. So I've just recently been in contact with a group in Stanford. They're doing Bevel Cloud, and they have an edge server that we're about to deploy in our centers to see if this uh, digital twin could be helping us to do. And it's a federated type of learning. Are you concerned at all with privacy of all this data going to one place? Talk about that. So interestingly, so the privacy, if you had a DUA in place for all the centers, is not a really a problem. But edge computing and federated learning is that you are in charge of the data in your center. It actually doesn't leave your center. Um, it just feeds like modals up into the cloud, and then you could have that algorithm tested. Which is, this is like a digital twin kind of computing that I've just recently learned about. What it is, it um, will twin the ultrasound system that we have at our center and then put it into the cloud. And then so each of our center is in control of our data. So this new edge computing, which I've learned is actually really nice uh, right now, because at first we had to worry about DUAs, which can take a long time. So DUA are data use agreements um, that can take a long time between centers, sometimes six months to a year, and that usually is the holdup. And so waiting to do that it would put you behind for another year. Right now, with this new cloud computing and edge server with digital twins cloning the ultrasound machine, our data resides with us. So it's actually going to be an interesting innovative path to go forward. That's amazing and and a great way to ensure privacy, for sure. Correct. Talk about barriers to implementing AI. What do you see as some of the barriers as you move forward in this work? So the number one barrier is still educating the community. And my second barrier is finding a data scientist who understand how to do echocardiography, because I'm an imager by training. And So they're good with still images right now, right? But they're not very good with moving images. It's very rare to find a data scientist who can actually do the moving imaging for echo, as echo is moving images of the heart. I've actually met with six data scientists and discussed with them, could you help me with our research in developing an algorithm for view classification, for recognizing normal heart and abnormal heart? If we could use AI to leverage that, to recognize what's really normal, what's abnormal, then we could spend our time focusing on what's abnormal. Because majority of the time, normal echoes doesn't take very long to read, but they're time-intensive. And we also have shortages of sonographers right now in the workforce. And so if we could help AI to train our sonographers who are brand new, then we don't need to really spend six months of, you know, teaching them at the bedside how to scan. Let me ask this question. Do you think AI would at some point replace humans in doing echoes? Will we someday get to the point where these are all done by robots? 
I don't think so because the I think the repetitive task can be done by artificial intelligence, algorithms that we plan. So if you look at the handheld ultrasound that was presented yesterday, they have the training simulation, right? You put the probe on for a novice, and they tell you what your hand position is correct, and they give you a check mark. So that, using AI to assist how to learn, is fantastic, right? But however, if you have advanced complex neural heart disease, what that needs is expertise in cardiology team, right? A cardiologist who's experienced in understanding the different types of morphology. Now, I don't think that AI will replace the human being. I think it, it can help us become more efficient in our work. So for example, if you are asking sonographers to measure left ventricular ejection fraction, if you could get that performed by the machine, that's going to be much faster to increase our efficiency and workflow in the echo lab. In terms of bias, do you see the potential for bias in AI algorithms in machine learning? What's your take on that? So you can have bias if you have limited data set to train the algorithm. That's the power of multi-center collaboration. If you have one center that's doing the training what this thing with edge computing is, you have five centers or seven centers that are feeding their data into this edge computing, and then the AI model sort of adjusts itself to try to fit the different types of data that are coming from different centers. So I think in that sense, it is quite powerful to reduce the amount of bias that you could potentially have. I think the bias that we see is if you keep feeding the data the same data from one center and not validating it in another center, that becomes problematic. I'm curious, how did you become interested in AI? I love new technology. I got interested in 3D Echo because I knew that 3D Echo is the advancement of the field to innovate so that I could do something more for our patients. At first, I had the same questions when I met Dr. Anthony Chain in 2018. I, I went to him, I said, do you think AI is going to take over the world? And he's like, how can it? Because we program the machine. We have the neural network and tell the machine what to do. We have the brains behind to tell what the machine can do. Now, obviously, people ask, could the machine surpass? Yes, because anytime you teach, like if I teach a fellow who surpasses me, I'm actually quite happy because then that innovates the field and pushes the field toward where we need to go to answer more efficiency for our patients, better outcome in taking care of patients, more precision in taking care of our patient. You know, the end goal is always the same. How do I innovate to help my patients? And that's the end goal, and that's how I got started with, you know, interventional guidance for 3D echo. That's how I got interested in fusion imaging to decrease the amount of radiation that we could do for our patients. And that's how I got interested in AI now because now we have so much data that we need some help, right? There's only so much our brain can handle at a time. And if we repetitive tasks to improve efficiency, I think that's the way to go. What's the future of AI? I don't have an answer to that. If we can get everybody to agree on how to better take care of our heart disease patients, I think that would be the key in 
helping our patients. Where do you want to see it go? I think that if we can have analytics that can help us improve our decision-making, if we have imaging modality that we could use to potentially shorten our acquisition time, you know, for a patient to lay on the table for 45 minutes to be scanned, that's really hard for kids. And if we could do like 3D echo acquisition, which is, you know, five minutes of acquisition time, and then we could have the machine do the post-processing saying, oh, this is a normal heart then we don't need to do sweeps. And 2D echo is sweeps, right? So you do sweeps, and then you have to mentally put the images together in your brain to say that this is normal heart. Now, where I see the power of AI would be you do 3D echo on this patient for five minutes, and then we can segment out the heart which we have the ability to do, and we have to partner with our industry friends to collaborate in how we can do this. And I find that collaboration with our industry partners and with engineers and you know, other physician scientists who are very interested in doing this would shorten the amount of time that the patient has to undergo in doing a test. It's daunting for a five-year-old to be there for 45 minutes while we're scanning their heart. Now, if we could shorten that time to five minutes... And then we have the post-processing with the AI algorithm to help us, like, this is a normal heart. Then we don't have to spend tons of time, you know, with our patients on the table being afraid or being exposed uh, for that long period of time. Do you ever foresee a time when we are using AI and we have an over-reliance on it and it could have possibly deleterious effects? Yes, I do believe that could potentially happen if you don't have enough physician oversight of the algorithm, then it wouldn't make sense. Yesterday, Dr. Diller presented an echo report, right? And it could systematically label the measurements that were already done just from natural language processing. And he was able to do that. But then when he went, he could turn it into a chat GPT and it became like, yo, the heart is swollen, is fine. The way you're using AI, you have to be careful, right? That was really a hilarious example that he presented yesterday that when the algorithm could go somewhere else, so where you don't want it to. So you always have to have a partnership with the physician, right? You can't let a Tesla drive. Yes, we do have Teslas that can drive by themselves, but you as a driver give that oversight if something happens. So I think that the clinician must have that oversight and not an over-reliance. It's dangerous for a clinician to use something that they don't understand. So I think that's the education piece now, bringing it back. Like, you really have to understand what you're innovating, right? And you have to understand, just as I do 3D Echo, I really have to understand the buttons, what they do, how do I make the image better, changing the gain, changing the UD clarity, changing all different parts of that machine to achieve an image that is clinically useful for our partners in cardiology. Well Beyond Medicine. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nemours Well Beyond Medicine podcast with me, Carol Vassar, and our guest, Dr. Penny John, director of the Echocardiography Laboratory at the Heart Center of the Anne and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. Do you have concerns about the AI revolution in healthcare and medicine? 
leave us a voicemail at nemoureswellbeyond.org. That's nemoureswellbeyond.org. That's also where you'll find all of our previous podcast episodes, including every podcast in the AI series, which we'll put in the show notes for this episode as well. Thanks to our production team, Che Parker, Cheryl Munn, and Allison Misich. Until next time, remember, we can change children's health for good, well beyond medicine. Let's go, oh, oh, well beyond medicine.